0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Influencer Podcast. We have a very special guest with us today, John Acuff. Now, John is a New York Times bestselling author of seven books, including one of his most popular called Soundtracks, The Surprising Solution to Overthinking. John is amazing. Not only has his books been published in over 20 languages, but he is also one of the top leadership speakers in the world. He has spoken to hundreds of thousands of people at conferences, colleges, companies around the globe, including FedEx, Chick-fil-A, Nokia, Comedy Central, you name it. He is known for his insights that are wrapped up in humor, which he talks about today, and really how he has come to build an incredible brand that he has. He also has over 20 years of experience with helping the biggest brands in the world tell their story, including Staples, Home Depot, Bose, you name it. He is a brand building genius. I love John and I really, he's, he is a person and he has a career that I really inspire and aspire to have because he does three things really, really well that I also really connect with. And that is writing books, speaking on stages, and building brands. Those are probably my three favorite things to do as someone in my position. And the fact that he does them so well, I just really love this conversation. I learn a lot from John. I think that he is phenomenal at what he does. And I'm so excited to introduce him to each and every one of you today. I think that you are also going to really take a lot from today's episode. I know that I did. So let's get started. Welcome to the Influencer Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Solomon. If you found yourself here, it means you are ready to unleash the powerful visionary that lives inside you, turning you into an authentic leader who creates influence, impact, and change. Let's get started. Hello, 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 John.
1: Thanks for having me today. I think it's going to be fun.
0: This is going to be great. Thank you so much for coming on here. I know that we got introduced, um, through a mutual friend this year, and I got mm-hmm. to come on your incredible podcast, which we'll be talking about today, um, to just share you know, my message and my world, and now you're going to get to come on this one. And we've got some incredible listeners, very loyal listeners that have been with us for years. So I want to kick this off with a question for you. What does influence mean to you?
1: Um, I think influence for me means... The ability to inspire life change, life change in other people. Like that's what influence is. Um, where you get to say, hey, if you tried this, I think it would be amazing. And then somebody is willing to try that. And that's mm-hmm. a special. We have limited attention, we have limited time, we have limited funds. And so that's what influence is, is when somebody goes, you know what, I do trust that. I'm gonna try that because I think it might help my life. And it came from a source I trust. So that's what that's how I think about influence.
0: Okay, awesome. We talk a lot about influence on here, and so I love to hear people's shift in perspective. Um, So let's kind of kick it off with that. I mean, I think that you do that in your world, in your work, in your community. Um, So share with us a little bit about what what gave you that itch to crack open your own influence and start bringing it out. With, I mean, you speak on stages, you've written a ton of books, you've been around the block when it comes to impact and visibility and being able to influence. So what cracked that open for you?
1: Well, I like to ask people the question, who are you doing this difficult job for? Mm -hmm. Um, because I think we're all doing a difficult job on some level. I asked a group of hospital CEOs that question and a woman raised her hand and said, I do it for the donor walk. And I didn't know what a donor walk was. And she said, you know, Because being a hospital CEO, you don't get to say two phrases you and I get to say, which is, it's not brain surgery, because it is. And they don't get to say it's not life or death, because it is. It's a very pressurized situation. She said, I do it for the donor walk. We line the halls when somebody's donating an organ, and the staff, and the nurses, and the doctors, and the administrators all clap and cheer so who she, she does it for. Us. So my answer to that is, I do what I do for the me I used to be. Mm. And that's a really common one that teachers, teachers will tell you that. Teachers will say... I'm a teacher for the me I used to be. When I was 13, my parents went through a divorce and not a single teacher noticed. Not a single teacher noticed my grades plummeted, my friends plummeted. I was alone on an island and no 13-year-old is designed to carry the weight of a divorce. And so now I teach because there's going to be another eighth grader that has that experience and I want to be. So for me, it was feeling stuck in my job, feeling like I was capable of more um, and wondering, is there a path out of that? Can I do something different? Can I be something different? And so the way I look at what I do with influence is, I think every best-selling idea has three elements. Um, a personal connection. You're personally deeply connected to the content. Because if you're not, you'll quit long before it, it, it grows. The second thing is there's a real need. People actually need that. You hear it in your community. You hear it in your neighborhood. You hear it online. And then the third is there's a spot for you in the market. You look at the market and go, oh, okay, I can fit in there. So I know that I've got a good idea when I've got those three kind of, that's my Venn diagram. So take my book, Soundtracks. I was an overthinker and I had changed some thoughts in 2008 that changed the arc of my life. So, okay, I've got that box. Second thing, do people actually need that? So I commissioned a research study with a PhD named Mike Peasley, he's a professor at MTSU. We asked 10,000 people if they struggle with overthinking, 99.5% of people said, yes, great, I've got that. Third thing is I checked the marketplace. And I was shocked how many books would say, stop it, stop it, stop it. As if you could turn off your thinking. And why would you ever want to? You've got this beautiful ability to think. And I I love meditation. I love mindfulness. That's 10 minutes a day. That's 30 minutes a day. What about the other 23 and a half hours when you're thinking? And so I realized, wait a second, I've got those three elements. Now I can serve somebody with this idea. That's how I look at influence. That's how I look at the books I create, the speeches I create, anything I create.
0: Mm. Well, and another thing that you do very well and that you understand and that you teach and I think that you've really broken down throughout your growth is branding. So I would love to know from you, how does how does this idea of influence and the ability to influence and in branding, how do they intersect? Because that is the two biggest trigger words in my community. Branding, building a personal brand, how do I create a brand? How do I grow a brand? And then how do I do that with someone of influence and of impact. and So those are two, I would love to know your take on the intersection of those two things.
1: Yeah, I I just feel very fortunate that I got a great education in branding um, early in my career. I worked for companies like Bose and Staples and Home Depot um, and really learned, okay, here's what happens when you write a headline this way. Like I would, you know, when I worked at Home Depot, they'd say, hey, um, we need 20 amazing headlines about this rug by 10 a.m., go. And I would have to come up with ways, okay, how how am I going to share this rug? What's the picture? What's the, you know, what am I going to create? So I I really feel like I got this crash course in branding from a lot of great companies. Um, And then when Twitter came along, I already knew how to do that because those were just headlines. So Twitter made sense to me because I'd spent, you know, my entire first 15 years of my career going, okay, Here's how you share something at Staples. Here's how you share something at Chick-fil-A or any of the clients I had. So for me, I felt like I had this education. I look at branding um, as putting a handle on an idea. Like I consider my job with branding, I'm a handle maker. We have enough ideas. We don't have handles on them to carry with us into our world. So what I like to do is go, okay, how do I take this big, possibly fuzzy subject? So like take mindset or overthinking. It goes so fuzzy, so holistic right away. You can't even do anything practical with it. So what I did with the, this book is I said, okay, I'm going to think about repetitive thoughts as soundtracks. That's something people can relate to. And so that's that's easy to kind of pick up and go, okay, What are my soundtracks? I'm going to break it down to, okay, there's three things you can do. You can retire broken soundtracks, then you replace them with new ones. And then you repeat those new ones. So often they become as automatic as the old ones. Anybody can go, okay, that's right. I got to retire. I got to replace. I got to repeat. So for me, branding is constantly simplifying something. And so somebody can really use it. And then you test it with real people. Like the reason that, um, my books are really fun and really relatable is that I've tested them with a thousand real people. So it's not, here's the best of who John Acuff is. That's a boring story that helps one person named John Acuff. But instead, if you're a single mom and you go, wow, okay, this single mom's story in this book, I can relate to that. Colleen Berry's story about getting fired and having to you know, reinvent herself, I can relate to that. That's somebody different than just John. So that's what I think about branding is that it's simplifying complicated things. It's making them sticky enough that you can take them with you. And it's making them relatable enough that I can see me in that. The best branding, in my opinion, leaves enough room for you to tell your story in it. So you look at a Porsche, ad. let's just say Porsche. So Porsche ads have like a a key headline, a photo, tons of white space, maybe two paragraphs. They could fill that entire page, but they don't because they know a Porsche isn't a car. A Porsche is a story. Mm -hmm. So if you'll start the story, I'll finish the rest of it with my own words and vocabulary. I'm 46 years old. I have a lot of vocabulary that's just my vocabulary. So if you'll say, hey, here's a story of a beach. And you leave me enough room in it, I'll tell the rest of it and go, oh, growing up in Ipswich on the North shore of Massachusetts, my dad was in seminary. We didn't have any money. He was painting houses on the side. When we'd get home from school, we'd sit on the roof and we could see like miles away. We were nowhere near the ocean, but we could see this thin little sliver of the ocean. And that's what will be evoked by me if you leave me room. So bad branding over communicates, overtells, doesn't leave any room for me to finish the story. So I'm always going, okay, how do I start the story? But I bring the reader in and there's enough room for them to tell their version because that's the version they'll relate to the most.
0: And that that's when you were talking, that's what I was leading into what I wanted to ask you next, that you know in this community, the, the idea is like, I, I can't stick out among the saturation. I'm creating this content. I'm building this visual brand. I'm putting myself out there and it's just not gaining traction. Would you say it's because there's not enough white space?
1: Yeah, I'm, I mean, I think part of it is there might not be enough white space and you might not have found your version yet, your story yet. Like, so for instance, maybe eight or nine years ago, I realized humor was part of my niche. So I looked at the environment. How did you
0: realize that?
1: Well, one, it comes naturally to me. I love it. I grew up in a family where like, if you didn't have solid material at the dinner table, like you left, you were Mm -hmm. like, I'm not like, I'm not even the funniest one in my family. And so I love to communicate that way. My dad would take me to comedy clubs when I was in high school. And and so like I see that as a value and I love writing it. And it's, you know, I watch a hundred comedians for every one business speaker. That's just because I think they're the best social commentators. Like Chris Rock said, there's some things people won't listen to unless they're laughing at the same time. So I was like, oh, I'm naturally curious about that. I have some ability in it and I think I can hone it. So then I look across the space I'm in and I go, well, nobody is that funny like I'm at these corporate events and like, you know, people aren't, aren't funny. So wait a second. Could I hone that? Could I use that as part of what my brand is? And now it's become part of it. And so people, you know, people today will say, Oh, I laughed. I had to stop reading the book in bed. Cause I was laughing so loud. I kept w- waking up my wife. Like that's when I know, okay, I'm doing it, but I'm also using humor as a vehicle for truth. So I, I don't go like, I'm not a comedian and I respect the heck out of comedians. Um, but that's part of my brand. So I think if you're going, I'm creating all this stuff, all this stuff, all this stuff. I don't know that you've tapped into what you're really about yet. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and and it's challenging because there's so many people to kind of copy. And I think it's it's a great way to learn is to see somebody else's voice. But I mean, it would kind of be like, there's a lot of people swearing right now because Gary V swears. Like, and he, that's part of his brand. Like, that is, like, that's authentic that's to him. That's authentic. Right. But like, what happens is, you see somebody else's brand and then it's like you're wearing your mom's dress at the eighth grade dance and it doesn't fit. And you're like, that looks weird. And you're like, no, this is how dresses work. Like, I don't know what the problem is. And it's you copying somebody that that's not your brand versus just going, no, this is, this is what I care about. This is what I'm good at. And it takes time too. Like it takes time to develop. Um, but I think that's part of it is you're trying to be somebody you're not. And modern consumers can spot that a million miles away. Like old school speakers, one of the things that old school public speakers used to say was make a story your own, which was just steal somebody else's story and then put yourself in it. And maybe that worked in the 50s. Like people would be like, that's crazy that that happened. Nowadays, though, like younger audiences especially can tell when you're faking it and they turn you off immediately, whether that's on social media or in a speech. So that's kind of I'm always thinking about that.
0: Yeah. And I want to dive into that more, too, because the question that I hear coming up because I know my community so well is like, I think he has spotted me. Like maybe that's it. Maybe I haven't really tapped in and tuned into my unique voice, my perspective, you know, what kind of emotional trigger do I want to give yeah. someone? Do, do I want them to laugh? Do I want them to feel different, diff, you know, deeply? Do I want them to start thinking in a more interesting way? So how do I do that?
1: Oh what yeah. But, so choice? here's the easiest, fastest way. I want you to think about telling me what you do as if I'm sitting next to you at a dinner party. The problem is when we go, okay, now I have to do my brand. It's almost impossible for you not to use branding voice. Like mm-hmm. my first book I wrote, my wife was like, who wrote this? Like, and cause I wrote it as like, I'm a serious author. And when you're a serious author, you got to use certain words that you like. It's like when people pray out loud and it's not, you're like, you don't say that. Like that's Old Testament. Like you sound like the King James. That's not authentic. So I, what I always like to say is, if you're trying to figure out your brand, there's there's kind of three kind of steps and they're like a, a smaller kind of funnel where you go, tell me the dinner party. I'm sitting next to you at a dinner party and somebody goes, what do you love about serving your audience? Or like, why do you, why do you put so much time in Instagram or so much time on the TikTok or whatever? And you wouldn't use jargon. You wouldn't tell a neighbor, well, I like to do cross synergistic postings because I find that women that are ages 22 to 28, like you wouldn't say that. Right. You would probably tell a story. You'd probably say, I remember moving to LA and I didn't feel like I knew anybody and it was super challenging. And I realized there was other people that felt super challenged and maybe I could create something for them. You would use honest language. So you start like, you know, hundreds of words. And then I'd say, okay, if you were going to put that down on a postcard, what would you say? The problem is we go, I got to figure out my brand and I have to have a perfect why in four words. That's overwhelming. Like to tell somebody to figure out your brand, you just need to know exactly your soul In four words that communicate your value, your personality, your emotion, the audience you're serving. You're like, no, that's that's overwhelming. So I'd much rather start with a lot and then kind of whittle it down. It's a postcard. What would I say? And then I try to get you to the side of a truck. If you had an 18 wheeler and you could only write down a sentence or two, what would you say? I mean, most trucking companies say, like, we do cross country logistics. Old Dominion Freight Line, they say, we're helping the world keep promises. That's brilliant. Like you made a promise to your customer. We're going to help you keep that. Like that's one of their soundtracks, if you will. Like when I talk to a corporate audience, I talk about those kind of soundtracks. So I would say to your audience, take the pressure off of trying to figure out your perfect brand. Like so often people that have spent a long time figuring it out, act like they figured it out in a long weekend. Mm -hmm. And that's just not true. Like you hone it, you shape it, you grow it. And over time it gets better and better and better. But Unfortunately, we've misinterpreted books like Start with Why. Like Simon Sinek, brilliant book, but we've misinterpreted it to until you know your why, you can't try. So people go, until I know my perfect vision for the next 10. Like, no, that's not what he's saying. That's just our misinterpretation. So I'd rather you have a bunch of words kind of limit it, figure it out as you go. Like you learn in the process, you know, you figure it out. Like I know right now. I'm going to sell a million books in my career, like a hundred percent going to sell a million books. I didn't know that at the beginning when I'm 34, I write the first book. I didn't sit down and go, I'm going to sell a million books. That would be so overwhelming. That would have been so much pressure. Like I couldn't have done that. But now eight books in I've sold 650,000 copies. Mm. So I know, okay, it's going to take X amount of books. Like it might take me till I'm 60, but let's go. Like I'm already, I'm already in the middle of it. Let's go. Now I have this big goal, this big mission, this big, why, but it's not like I started that on day one and said, so that's, I think that's where sometimes we get, we get a little confused.
0: Well, and you weren't like, I'm going to sell a million books and I'm going to do it by the end of the year.
1: No, no, <laughs> like, you know, like, no, because no, that like, that would have been again, so disappointing, so <laughs> overwhelming. I mean, we actually studied that. We did a big study on why people don't finish their goals. And we asked people in the research study to cut their goals in half during the middle of the study. And they were 63% more successful. Because at the beginning, they were like, they'd never do CrossFit. And then they're like, I'm going to do CrossFit every day for a year. And you'd be like, I love that optimism. But that's not real. That's not most goals are optimistic lies. If they're not tied to your calendar and your reality, they're they're not true. And so, yeah, you have to kind of go, okay, what's the pace? What's the rhythm? You know, what's the amount of time it's going to take? So there's all these things that come into it.
0: Business Business for sponsoring the show. I want to know what you think is a connection between overwhelm and your under, you know, you've studied it, the understanding Mm -hmm. of that, and overthinking.
1: Yeah. So I think that overthinking leads to overwhelming thoughts. It leads to overreacting. Like the reason you overreact to somebody is you've rehearsed that conversation a hundred times before you even have it. Mm -hmm. So you've already had it a thousand times, and it could be with a spouse. Like my friend Ali Andrews, one of the things he says is to his wife, I'm sorry, I lied for you all day. So if they have an argument in the morning and he replays that over his head and, like all day and listens to things that she didn't even say, by the time he gets home, he needs to go, hey, I'm sorry, I lied for you all day. I said things you didn't say to me. Mm-hmm. So I think that overthinking can lead to feeling overwhelmed. Um, it can lead to you overreacting. Um, it doesn't have to. Um, I think you can really, you know, the point of the book was how do you turn all those thoughts from a super problem into a superpower. Yeah. Um, but the challenge is again, like if you spend a lot of time thinking the same thing a thousand different ways versus going, okay, I recognize the thought for what it is, I'm gonna turn it into a couple actions, I'm gonna see if those actions work, I'm gonna see if I get the results I want. And then you've got a process versus just I'm gonna think, I'm gonna think, I'm gonna think. I mean, I, I one of the things I think about is according to the New York Times, 81% of Americans want to write a book. Like it's one of the biggest goals in America, 81%. And every year, less than 1% do, less than 1%. So that's a huge gap between those two things. And often it's, we overthink that. So I'll give you how that thought gets overwhelming. We add extra pressure to things that are already difficult. So we go, I just got to write the book. Like, and we call it the book. And now, or, they, or we say- The like, Bible. The Bible, yeah. And you're like, oh my gosh, like this is gonna, or you will say, I want to write this book to prove to my dad that my career choices were right. Like what? Like it's so much pressure on a book. And so now, so I always tell people don't call it the book. I like when you're writing a book, call it just a book. It's just a book. I have a note on my wall that says just a book. Now, when it comes out, it's no longer just a book because I needed that soundtrack to help me create it. When it's out, it's the book. Like I'm going to sell it, market it. Like I believe in it like crazy. But in order for me to not get stuck with overwhelm and over like thinking, I can't go this is it. Like, this is what it all comes down to. Like, if this one doesn't hit this, like what, like I'll cripple myself in the process. So just a book, it's just, just a business. It's just a brand. Like, and then again, once it's time for me to really market it, then I retire that one. And now it's the book. Now it's the brand.
0: Right. And that kind of leads into my next thought process because the The idea of, and what I'm kind of compounding off of what we're talking about, the idea of of starting a brand, of growing a brand, of scaling a brand, of believing that you are someone Mm -hmm. with influence and activating that out. What keeps people from really embodying a lot of those steps is this idea of the overwhelming and the overthinking. I would Mm -hmm. love to know: is there this this fine line? You know, there's there's a saying that I've heard before that our greatest strengths can also be our greatest defects. Mm -hmm. So, is there this fine line that like? the, the overthinking can actually be a strength and get us to this certain place. And, and the overwhelm can actually create this momentum that can get us to a, to a certain place. But then where, where is that line between kind of pushing ourselves to that point where we're showing up to get it, what it is that we want, but then also allowing, you know, I I think the essence or whatever you may think it may be to kind of meet us where we are. So then it's, it's not the book, the brand, you know, we're having that balance.
1: Yeah, I think it's different for every person but I think it's constantly kind of readjusting you know looking at the the results you're getting looking you know so for me there's a there's a level of pressure I like I like when I have short time frames because they inspire me but there's a level where if they're too short or if there's too many things going in it's too much pressure I shut down I don't get the high quality work I want so there's this fine line and as you know as I get older I'm constantly going Oh yeah, okay. That's what I need to do. I need to do meetings in the afternoon. I need to write in the morning. Oh, that's that's a lesson. I didn't know that when I was in my 20s. Like that's something I learned in my 30s, that's something I'm honing in my 40s. Like so so I think there's that constant like paying attention. So much of this is about self-awareness. Like self-awareness mm-hmm. is a superpower. You can't accomplish anything if you don't know who you are. And the reason why is you can't be you can't be active in relationships because you don't know who you are. So they won't know who you are. You can't accomplish goals because you don't know how you best work. So like, just take the working in the morning or working in the afternoon. If I don't know that I get my best work done in the morning, then I'm going to try to slam great work on a Friday afternoon at four. And then I'm going to be frustrated. It's not going to be good. And I'm going to say, well, I must not be good at this versus going, I must not have put the right thing in the right space. So some of it is going, okay, here's the level of, of pressure I like. And also seeing it as an individual thing there's certain people that they they love, you know, chaos, like tons of chaos. Like for me, I know kind of my chaos limit where I go, I get this like quality work done here. It takes me five to 700 hours to write a book. Like for me to feel great about a book, to go through that process takes me roughly that amount of time. It takes other people less amount of time. But if I can get comfortable with that, then I know like, I have a chart on my wall. It's like, okay, I'm 314 hours in. So great, I'm in the right spot. Like the book's coming together. I'm getting great feedback from my editor. Cool. So like I've paid attention to that process. So the next book, what used to happen is book five would go, oh, it's not coming together. This is the worst, mm-hmm. hardest book we've ever written because I didn't take notes on book four. So what you do is you leave yourself a trail. So then you go, oh, wait a second. Whenever I do a brand launch, I feel this way the week before. That's right, this isn't new. And it's it's like leaving like a message in a bottle for yourself. You're constantly throwing messages into your own ocean so that the next time you're on that island, you go, oh, that's right. Like the day before a big launch, I always feel a little stressed. I gotta do more workout. I always feel like I gotta make sure I'm getting sleep. I gotta, you know, you figure yourself out. It's kind of like you have to develop an owner's manual for you. Like there should be a Julie owner's manual. And the better you get at putting that together, the easier it is for you to follow it and not be overwhelmed.
0: Oh, that's so good. And that, that leads me to this, this idea of, of writing books because, well, two things. I mean, you, you have done two things that the people that listen to this podcast always say that they want to do, and you've done them very, very well. And it could be from the owner's manual and what you were just talking about Mm -hmm. with really having that self-awareness and knowing yourself. So I want to I want to talk about speaking on stages and writing books for a moment. Sure. And how how someone can make that happen? You just gave a great stat. You know, one percent of the people that say you know that they actually want to write a book end up writing a book. So how does one use you know everything that we've been talking about today so far to start initiating and actually activating and making those things happen?
1: Well, what I think would the no- your
0: biggest tips for that.
1: The number one thing is you have to feed it time. Like you have to feed it time. So you know, and start small. Like it can be, okay, I'm going to do half an hour. I'm going to write 10 words. I'm going to write a hundred words. Um, you know, somebody just wrote me a letter the other day, cause I talk about small goals all the time. And she said, my soundtrack used to be, if you can't write a thousand words, why bother? And mm. she said, I changed that after reading soundtracks to a hundred words is enough. And she's now written 72,000 words. So often we go, well, a hundred isn't enough. A hundred doesn't count. We put all these like really hard restrictions. We're so unfair to ourselves, you know, at the beginning. So a lot of it is going, okay, I'm going to do this amount of time, or I'm going to do these amount of words, and I'm going to, you know, do it consistently over a period. And I'm going to try it for a month and see what happens and see how, and I'm going to take some notes. Is it working? Is it not working? And and that to me, those little things that again, at the beginning, don't feel like enough. Like Mm -hmm. you go, no, 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 no. I saw somebody online. They said you should write a book in a week. And like, I know, like you go, well, that's somebody online. That's fine. Like, so instead you go, no, I'm going to do a little. And then you just invest what you have. Like, I I think I told you this when we talked on my podcast, the average American watches the equivalent of two months of TV a year, like two months a year. Like it is so easy to crush it right now. Like if you watch one month of TV a year, you're killing it. So like, You go and say, and I say this, like, like, I'll just pick on, you know, fantasy football for a minute. Like people say, I'm too busy to write my book. And then they'll tell me about a third string backup punter on their fifth fantasy football team. And I'm like, I am going to blow your mind because I can find some time for you. So sometimes it's just going, okay, where can I steal a half hour back and apply it to this thing? And like, I have a visual timer, like this is my visual timer. I'm holding it up. And like, I'll set it for, you can set it for an hour and then it just, it counts down for an hour. So a lot of times if I have to say, okay, there's a thing I'm avoiding that I really want to do that I think is important to my business. I'm going to set a half hour timer and it's all I'm going to do. And when it goes off, I'll be done with it, but I'm going to see what happens in that half hour because I think I can do something. And so time is one of those things that if you get serious about your brand, you get serious about time.
0: And do you think it's just the lack of awareness? It, it, do people not realize how much time the, the five fantasy football leagues are taking? Is it that mm-hmm. they don't, they say that they want to write a book, but they really don't want to show up to really do it? Like, what do you think is is that, or is it a mix of of all of it?
1: It's a mix. I mean, one of the things that's fascinating to me, Derek Seavers has talked about this, but they started studying this in like the 30s. Um, if you tell somebody your goal the wrong way, you're less likely to do it. So if I say to you, Julie, I'm going to write a book. You pre-congratulate me. If I'm at a dinner party and I tell somebody I'm going to write a book, I get pre-congratulated. People go, "That's so amazing. amazing. Like good yeah. for you. You're so brave. Thank you for using your voice." I go, "I am brave. Thank you for noticing." And my body releases dopamine. It's not a ton, but it's enough dopamine that I get satisfied and I don't actually write. Same with a marathon. If you tell somebody, "I'm going to run a marathon." They go, "Oh, you're so disciplined. I could never do that." And you go, I am disciplined. Thank you. You haven't run a single mile. You're already getting praise. So, the way you do it is instead of saying, instead of making this proclamation, you ask for accountability. You say to a friend, Hey, I really want to write a book. I've said I want to write a book for years. I know it's possible. Millions of people do it every year. Like, I know it's available. Like, it's like millions of average, normal people do it every year. I've been to the library, there's tons of books. And you say, once a week, will you text me and ask me if I wrote three times this week? Like, that's what I'm trying to do. Will you just, will you just, and it doesn't have to be complicated. You're not giving your friend this huge task list, but you're saying, hey, I need some accountability. So sometimes it's the wrong, like we announce it the wrong way. Um, Sometimes we're carrying old goals we don't really even care about, like Mm -hmm. where we think we're supposed to do this. Like I'm supposed to, you know, like for me, an old one that is, uh, I'm supposed to scale my business and have a ton of staff. I'm not, like, I love my life. Like, but I get in these entrepreneur circles and people are like, how many, how many staff you got? You got 25 staff.
0: employees. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like
1: I have a building with like a logo on it. And I'm like, I feel really inadequate. And so in that moment I come, like, I always come home and tell my wife, I'm like, I got to staff up. I got to scale. Right. And she's like, who'd you have coffee with today? Like, Oh no, who got to you? Right. And I, cause I forget like, no, I love the shape of what I'm doing. I yeah. love the small team. Like I love that we're lean and we punch above, above our body weight. Like That's my goal. But sometimes it's we chase other people's goals and we get distracted from our own. Um, And so like that. So I think that's part of it. And then sometimes we're just really unfair about recognizing the season we're in. Um, Mm. I meet young moms, especially that'll go, John, I'm not writing my book, or building my brand, you know, enough. I'm not building my dream. And I go, well, tell me about your life. go, well, I have a five-year-old and two twin two-year-olds and I have a job and my husband's deployed. And I'll be like, what what do you mean you're not doing enough on a dream? Like you're raising humans. Like you're in charge of humans right now. Like I'm not saying, yeah, you can't do stuff in the sides and the cracks and stuff, but you need to give yourself some grace that there's seasons to this. Like I have a 16 year old and an 18 year old. Like I called my 18 year old uh, yesterday from Houston. I was speaking at an event and she was like, are you in town? I was like, no, I'm in Houston. And she was like, oh, okay. I've been really busy with graduation. So, so like that's different than trying to keep a three-year-old alive. Like a Saturday with a three-year-old is different than a Saturday with an 18 year old. I have different amounts of time. And so I think sometimes we have to recognize that and make peace with that. And then know there's going to be a different season where I can lean into this harder. And I'm going to be, I'm going to build the structure for it when it happens but I'm not going to miss this season because I'm frustrated that it's not the other season.
0: Right. And I think that happens a lot. When was, since you have older, older kids and there's a lot of women that listen to this podcast that are kind of more me, you know, they've got seven year olds, eight year olds. I have a 20 month old, you know, when, what was that age that you felt like you were able to kind of shift? You, You felt the change of the season.
1: Well, so here's how, here's how it kind of breaks down in my opinion. Like I always say, never tell the, the mom of a toddler that childhood goes by quickly. Like toddler days are 96 hours long. Like they're not, There's they're long days. Like they just are. And so I think about it like toddler years are slow. It speeds up in elementary school as they get their own friends, their own interests, their own sports, whatever. Middle school gets really fast. And then high school is a blur. So I feel like in elementary school is where I started to go, okay, like there's there's a little more pockets of time. Like, I remember my wife would tell you I was such a grumpy jerk about this. I remember when one of our kids dropped their second nap, like, and it was a Saturday and I was like, and I was like, put her to bed. Like, let's, I got some stuff to do. And my wife was like, Oh no, she doesn't take an afternoon nap anymore. And I was like, did we get a vote on that? Like, did anybody (laughs) like, and we didn't, the kid just was like, nah, that's over (laughs) that. I'm out of that. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So like, I really feel like it was elementary school and then it was middle school and then it was high school where I started to, but I started to, um, get up earlier because I recognized that like, if I would not, when they were in bed at night, if I would go, you know what, I'm going to read a little bit and then I'm going to go to bed because there's this whole Jewish principle that your morning start or your day starts the night before. So I would go, if I don't binge watch something the night before, then I have the energy to get up at 5am the next day. And I could sneak an hour in because, most of the time, my, my daughter's not at 5 a.m. Like, hey, you want to throw the Frisbee? I'd be like, it's dark out. Like, that's it's crazy. Like, no. So I I started to do little things like that and kind of sneak time back. Like and that's where like I'm a nerd about that. Like I've been timing. This is so dorky. I was curious, how long does it take to load a plane? Because I, I was like, I'm doing this traveling. I was like, how long does it actually take? I've timed the last five flights. It takes an average of 31 minutes. Wow. So if I said to you, Julie, I'm serious about reading books. I want to read more because ideas matter to me. That's a 30 minute window that very few people on the planet are taking advantage of. Like yeah. they're checking their phone. They're kind of screwing around, but like now when I get on a plane, like, yeah, I'm going to like, you can sit in the middle seat and I'll pay attention, but I'm going to be reading because I'm like, I just, for every 10 flights, like that's five extra hours of, of stuff that I'm doing. Like that's neat to me. So I, I try to be extra aware of the time that's available because I've got 168 hours and it's like, okay, how do I, how do I want to play them?
0: Yeah. I love that breakdown. And thanks for sharing that. Cause I think it's just a great reflection and reminder for so many of us, myself included, that it's like, I'm, I'm wiping bottoms right now. Like, yeah. Dude, no, like in my house. <laughs> like, no. Yeah.
1: Totally. Like know? 20 <laughs> months is intense. So, yeah. so I, yeah, no, I and think so, we, we need to grade on a curve. Like you, we need to all grade on a curve. Like, Especially from the last two years we've just come through, there was not a single like person that's been through ten global pandemics, so we have to go, yeah, like I'm gonna grade myself on a curve. I'm not that's the other thing is you can't hold yourself accountable for this year to three years ago scorecard. You have to constantly be coming up with a new scorecard because I'll meet people that'll go, I'm just not doing a good job at my goal, and then again they'll say, and I'm taking care of my dad who has dementia, and I'll say, well, you're judging like current you versus the The one that wasn't taking care of a dad with dementia, like that's a 20 hour a week commitment. Those are real hours. Like, let's not, not that you're not capable of a lot of things, but let's be kind to ourselves and recognize, like, this is a season that I'm in. So, yeah, when you've got a 20 month old, that's a different season than when you have an 18 year old.
0: Yeah. I love that breakdown. And, And I think that's for anyone who's wanting, you know, we all have those big goals of writing books, speaking on stages, launching new businesses and ideas, growing a team, whatever that may be for you. But remembering the, the allowing yourself the grace of reality, I think is really important, and I appreciate that reflection back. and um, you have a book coming out. Well, you're writing one right now, mm-hmm. and then you've got one coming out this summer. So how does that how are those do you do you tend to kind of be working on one as you're marketing another one because going through this for the first time, that's a lot,
1: yeah, so for me, um, <laughs> I'm trying to get into a rhythm, and it's taken me years. Um, But I want to I I'm at my healthiest when I have a big writing project that's challenging me. Um, So when I've got and that could be a course, that could be a a new speech that can be. But I need to be actively writing because if I stop writing, I get afraid of it and I I forget how to do it. And it feels intimidating. And and I between this book finish I wrote and this last book, soundtracks I wrote, I really got into a creative funk where I just was like, oh, I'm going to take some time. And it just like got harder and harder and harder to get back into it. So now, you know, I've heard people say that about running. Like if you're a serious runner, you never really stop running. Like you're Mm -hmm. always kind of running. Um, So for me, that's how I think about it. But then also like releasing a book versus writing a book are different parts of my brain in the same way that writing and editing are different. I always tell writers, don't try to do them at the same time. Like when I'm writing and I need a stat or a fact, I write in all caps FACT because I'll go get it later. If I leave to go find it on the internet, game over. Done. Like yeah. I'm on YouTube looking at Singapore's best stingray breeder. I'm like, I'm not in the market for a stingray, but maybe, and maybe I'll get them from Singapore. I didn't even know you could buy your own right. stingray. I thought they were only in the ocean. Right. Um, and
0: there's a squirrel outside. Yeah, know. yeah,
1: exactly. So forget <laughs> it. So like, that's how I think about that rhythm of, okay. And then also I think he, as you get older and more self-aware, you go, wow, I write or I create whatever. I brand better in the winter. Like I'm, a you know, like when it's quiet, when it's, like if you're a parent, it's harder in the summer. It just is like your kids are there, like they're, you know, my 18 year old is done with school. So like this morning she was like, Hey, what's going on? Like, she didn't say that last week. Cause she was in school. She was in my office. Like, what do you, what do you got going on today? And I, and I love that. Like anytime your kid shows the smallest degree of interest, like you clear everything and they're like, let's talk, let's engage. Um, but it's different. So you figure out your best rhythm. So I know, I write best in the winter. I'm pretty good at editing in the summer. But like July, I don't, I'm not great at creating new ideas in July. Yeah. yeah. And the entire world is actively working against you. Like there's cultural momentum against you doing your best work in July. Now there's also good cultural momentum in September. Back to school, like when I was at Home Depot, we called that the first new year. Because all this back to school momentum and you as an adult can ride that cultural wave Mm -hmm. and actually kick off a lot of goals actually build your influence, actually grow things. So you're kind of like going, how do I work best? What are the projects I can weave together? What's the right balance? Like, oh, too many feel overwhelmed. Like I feel burnout coming. Like I can see my five signs of burnout. Like good you to know, the no. like, so you're kind of always in this dance is how it feels like to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love what you said about, you know, I feel that way in July, everyone's traveling and going and doing it. Yeah. Not to say that they're not consuming content or, you know. Watching things, listening to things, reading things. I tend to read more books in July, yeah. but it's because I'm on vacation with my family, or you know, I'm not sitting behind my computer trying to launch the new greatest online yeah. thing because it's going to be crickets.
1: Yeah, nobody um, wants to change your life in July. Like you no. want to take a breath in July. I've launched products in July, and i was like, oh, okay, shouldn't never going to do, do, do that. that again. Shouldn't do that. Yeah. Like the Horrible. best marketing won't overcome that. It's summer. Like right. it's literally like. There's a thousand years of summer momentum you're working against. You're like, I don't know, I'm good at Facebook ads. Maybe I can change their mind. You're not gonna.
0: No, the Europeans call it holiday for a reason.
1: Yeah, yeah, they close things in August in Germany. Like everybody's done. And you're like, okay, that's right, I'm not gonna. Nobody, but then, yeah,
0: that's September. It is, it's that it's like that kind of it's a little bit of feel, it feels like January with that new year, new you momentum. People have gotten a break, they feel refreshed, and they're like, Oh, yeah, okay, I can put some momentum behind. And
1: their kids are doing new stuff, and we want to do new stuff too. Like, anytime you buy school supplies, there's a part of you as an adult, it's like, Oh man, I miss school supplies. Like, it was Mm -hmm. really exciting. Like, I wish I was, and you're like, I'm going to do something different with my life. Yeah. So, I think it's a really neat time to serve a big audience.
0: Yeah. I love that. And so tell me about the book that you're coming up with your daughter, right? Or is yep. it a children's book and she's supporting you in that?
1: So um, when Soundtracks came out, which is about building a mindset um, and you know being deliberate about your thoughts, it's the first book of the seven I've written that parents came out of the woodwork and said, is there one for teenagers? Like, mm-hmm. do you have one for teenagers? Because they'd say, if I could have figured out how to change my thinking at 13, at 14, at 15, it would right. change the whole arc of my life. And it's true. Like, the fun thing about kids is if you teach them the truth at 15, they sprint with it because they don't have 20 years of broken soundtracks to unlearn. Mm-hmm. And it's often where they're picking them up. Like a teacher says to them, you're not a natural leader. And then I meet them when they're 45 and they've spent 30 years listening to that soundtrack. And it's a lot of work to, to change it. Right. And so I didn't have a version for um, teenagers. So I've got two teenage daughters um, and we we wrote the book together. and I it, love it. And I wrote it with them because I knew if I tried to do it myself, it would sound like an old adult trying to sound young. Like, hello, fellow youths. Like, I don't mean to be so lit. I'm I'm so savage. Yeah, you know, Drake's not just a duck. He's a rapper from Canada. Like, I knew it would be so much like that. So they they helped me write it. And it opens up the very first chapter is my 16-year-old getting cut from the lacrosse team she got cut from the lacrosse team where we, and we were, where we go to high school. It's everything. They've won the state championships in two years for the last two years. And she got a text from her coach and it was really hard. And a week later, she's like, I think we should put this in the book. Cause I think it'll encourage other kids about what they're going through. And I was so proud of her. So we asked the coach, like, can we put this text message in the book? And he was like, Oh, this book's going to help my kids that I coach. Like, so I'm really excited about that coming out because I think, the modern teenager has a lot of chances to overthink. Mm-hmm. And if you can teach them some things about what that looks like and how to change your thoughts and control your thoughts, I think it's really powerful. And like, I'll give you an example. We were at a swim meet and this girl got out of the pool and she said to her mom, I'm the worst swimmer ever. I'll never get better. I'm the slowest person on the team. And my wife and I looked at each other and we like, oh, those are just broken soundtracks. Like She can change that. And I'd say to any any parent that's listening, if you hear your kids use absolutes in a negative way, it's probably a broken soundtrack. I never get good at geometry. I'm the only one who doesn't own a phone. Everyone got invited to the party except me. Like that's an example of broken soundtrack. So I think that there's going to be a lot of parents that go, oh, this gives me insight into how my kids are thinking and actually some actions I can do to help them with their thoughts.
0: Yeah, I mean, even my eight-year-old son has them right now. He's not even a teenager yet.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, it starts so early, and and the problem is you don't get taught how to think. Like I never had a class in eighth grade that was like, "Hey, where you know, instead of you know this, we're going to learn how your thoughts impact your actions, impact your results." There was just this general assumption of like, "You'll be fine. Like you don't need to worry about what you think." And meanwhile, kids have these like massive thinking machines, and Mm -hmm. often. They're thinking things that aren't helpful to them or aren't true or they don't share and you're like, what are they, you know, what's really going on for them? Um, and then you've got social media. Like our our elementary school, you weren't allowed to bring birthday party invitations to class because somebody would get excluded. Like you had to invite the kids outside of the class. Right. But now with like geotagging on on Snapchat, you can literally see where everybody is except you. So like young girls can see. All my friends' little icons are at this person's house. I'm not there. Right. Like, and it's crazy. And it's so, and they're the first generation that's really had to deal with that. My parents didn't have to tell me how to handle a digital footprint. It didn't exist. No. And so you're like, okay, how as a parent do we speak into that? So I think it's a great, I think it's great pressure, but it's also a great opportunity.
0: And when does that come out?
1: Comes out in September. It's called your new playlist. Um you can pre-order right now. Um awesome. And I think there's a way to get free chapters. So let me see if I can give you that URL. I think it's just acuff.me slash playlist. So okay, cool. acuff.me slash playlist.
0: Okay, awesome. We'll make sure it's in the show notes as well for you guys. Um, and then I would love to to do some rapid fire questions. Yeah, let's do it. Before we wrap up. Yeah. Uh, what is a book that you wish you wrote?
1: Ooh, um, I'm reading a book called um, From Strength to Strength right now that I wish I wrote. And it's Ooh. about... Uh, no. It's by uh, Arthur C. Brooks. And uh, the, the endorsement on the cover is the Dalai Lama. So I don't know, you just recently had to get endorsements. They're not the easiest process, no. Like, but it's a really good book. Um, strength, the Strength.
0: The Strength. Nice. Um, okay. What is what is something where you would say, I'm just getting started
1: in your life? Ooh, I I think I'm just getting started with writing. Like I'm just, I mean, mm. I know I've done a bunch of books, but I feel like, oh, I'm starting to see things about how my process works and I'm starting to understand about how to really help people with it. So I same with like public speaking. Like I, I think that there's things that I'm like, oh, I I can see some pieces differently. So I, I'm always pushing back against that sense when people are like, how do you know you've arrived? Like I heard somebody the other day, a surgeon, say, um, the day you retire will be the day you're the best at what you do, because you should never stop learning. And that was really encouraging to me. Like you should, like the last day you do the thing should be the best you're at it because yeah. every day you should be learning. So like, I feel like I'm just getting started speaking with writing, with running a business. Like it, it all feels new to me in a lot of ways.
0: Mm. Um, what are you the absolute best at?
1: Uh, I think being, uh, using humor to communicate ideas from stage. Like, I think I'm really good at that.
0: Um finish the sentence. Wouldn't it be great if?
1: Wouldn't it be great if we all knew we already had permission? Oh, I love that.
0: I love that. That's a good one. And the last one. What is something that is absolutely essential in your life right now?
1: Ooh, this one's so dorky. Um, my little whiteboard. I have a little whiteboard. Uh it's a desk size whiteboard that I keep on my desk that seems redundant and it only fits like 20 items so it automatically limits what I'm able to brainstorm as far as what I need to do yep. and I use it every day and I it's kind of my map for what I'm doing every week so that that one's super easy to be like yeah that's the thing that I'm constantly interacting with and then because just going to give a second one my notebook I'm a notebook guy I'm a paper guy I use my notebook probably 50 times a day like when I as an example like If I'm parked somewhere and I'm like, "Eh, this looks sketchy, I will take my notebook out of my laptop bag and leave my laptop in the car. Like, I'm like, I'd rather my laptop get stolen than my notebook because the notebook has the dope ideas I'm working on. Laptops replaceable. Like the stuff I've written down that I heard from people or what I'm working on, like, that's where I feel like, okay. That those are the ideas that would be hard to replace. Laptops are laptops, but like my notebook and the way I look at ideas and the way I curate them and collect them and shape them, like that's what I I use every day.
0: No, I love it. So good. Well, John, please share where people can find you. I know that there's a lot of ways that you show up and support with all the work that you do. We'll of course leave all this in the show notes, but give us some social plugs, website plugs, any calls to action.
1: Yeah. So, um, soundtrackscourse.com. I've got a six part course. That's video. It's super fun about, you know, the way we think and how to change that. Acuff.me is my website, acuff.me. And then social media, I'm John Acuff, uh, J-O-N-A-C-U-F-F on Instagram and Twitter. And I think I'm author John Acuff on Facebook. So I'm all over the place. And then, yeah, the teen book is um, a slash playlist. And yeah, I think that's about it. That was a pretty good run through and a podcast. You're on my podcast. That's called all it takes is a goal where I nerd out about fun goals that fun people are working on.
0: Yes. And for my avid podcast listeners, his podcast is awesome. You would absolutely love it. So definitely go check it out. Um, it's, it's really, really good. He has great conversations, great guests, great topics, themes that all of you will definitely connect with. So John, thank you so much for being here and just letting me pick your brain. It was awesome. And, um, I can't wait for this next book to come out. I know it's really going to help a lot of parents and a lot of kids.
1: I appreciate that, Julie. Thanks for having me on.
0: As always, thank you so much for joining me today and every week here on the Influencer Podcast.